Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Well, welcome guys. I, uh, I'm going to have someone come read the scripture in just a moment. Someone I think is amazing and uh, just serves with such a good heart. But before I do that, I just want to give you an update on a few things. Obviously, we just got through our vision series. I know some of you guys are still praying, considering. Love for you to do that. We'd, we'd love to announce in the next couple weeks um, kind of what we were able to raise. I know some of you guys, listen, what's already been given is fan, fantastic. It's going to allow us to do a lot. I'm really thankful for it. Uh, but having talked to a few of you guys, I know that's still something you're considering and praying through. Um, and uh, we'd love to announce that and get it going and cranking. So if you are doing that, you can still jump online and do all that. But I want to let you know a couple things that have happened. I meant to do this a couple weeks ago and was not able to. So I just want to go through these real quick. Um, just what's happening in our building already, even without, we're not promoting it, we're not talking a bunch about it, um, but it's already beginning to happen. Some of the things we've talked about in terms of people using the space Monday through Saturday, uh, especially to launch things that they have been dreaming about, thinking about, wanting to do for a long time. Uh, this is a podcast uh, that just recently launched. They, they've been wanting to do this for a while. This guy's awesome. He's really a great guy. Um, and so that podcast, they, they did 12 hours worth of recording. I think they were here three different times for like six hours at a time. And uh, they've got multiple podcasts that have been launched and uh, talking about marketing and helping people market their business and some of those things. And uh, really, really cool. You can keep, you just scroll through them real quick. It's all good. I'll try to do them as quick as I, uh, this is Andy Squires, who I just texted with this weekend. Um, we're trying to figure out when we can book them again for next year, but for multiple nights and for more than just a evening of worship. This was an incredible night, and if he comes back next year, I'm going to promote the heck out of it because it was one of the more impactful nights I've been a part of. So that was awesome. Uh, you can go through the next one. This was uh, them record. This is a church down the road who's uh, recently had all their stuff stolen. Um, but they were needing to record a Sunday service for Christmas, and so they were able to record in here. They set up, I mean, they were, it was intense, uh, the amount of things they set up, and uh, they're a load-in, load-out church. Anybody know that vibe? And um, so they were able to set up in our space and use that. Go ahead to the next one. Um, and this is last night. Hey, this is last night. Um, uh, we were able to, Steph Dooley was able to host her book launch of her third, she wrote three books in two years, um, unreal, like legit books, and uh, and so, and then just recently, well, I think there's some secrets I'm not allowed to tell. We were there last night, it was awesome, and uh, so she was able, so this did not look like this last night, and uh, so um, they were able to do that, and then there's been a few other things. We've got Wacos Ideas that have just done, they're about to do their third, second, third workshop in the building, which is amazing. Fortress is about to do their volunteer Christmas party. Um, in a couple weeks. I think they're still doing the pop-up um, in the space for moms who are trying to make some money during the holidays. So listen, I just want to say this to say, what we said we were going to do in here is already happening, and we haven't really even started like figuring out how we're going to do it. And, uh, and so it's, it's really exciting, and I'm really thankful for it. So um, I just love that it's happening without us trying too hard. And uh, it's just natural, and people are blown away by what's in the space and what's here. And so I want to thank you for making it happen and being a part of this. Uh, but also I want you to continue to pray and consider what uh, we're doing towards this because it really is um, going to change lives, not just on a Sunday morning service, but through a lot of different avenues and a lot of different ways. Um, and it's really, really cool. Plus, we just booked someone, but until he announces it, I'm not going to announce it until it's official, official. Um, that's going to be a really big deal uh, for in February. So I'm really excited about that. Hey, um, 
So I'm going to have Jessica come up and read our scripture for this morning. So if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew, and she's going to do that for us. Give it up for Jess. Come on now. Well, he told me to introduce myself, but he kind of just did it. My name is Jessica. Um, I am honored to serve on the production team running the computer. So this is way out of my comfort zone. Uh, <laughs> but I'm here to read our scripture for today. It's Matthew chapter 3. Um, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance, and don't presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chafe he will burn with fire that never goes out. Merry Christmas. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it carries with it life and hope and joy. I thank you that it carries with it power unto salvation. I thank you that it speaks to the word that is the way and the truth and life. And I pray that today as we share and as we open up your scripture, I pray that um, we see you, uh, that we hear your voice, that Holy Spirit, you would come and speak. And whatever is, whatever needs to be burned away would be burned and everything that needs to be received would be received. Everything that needs to be uh, deposited in the heart of men and women in this room and online, Lord, I pray it would be so. So we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, there's a lot in that scripture. There's no chance in the world I will get through all of it. I know it just seems like a good story of a crazy man. I've been looking for that outfit. I can't find it anywhere. Uh, but it's, uh, there's so much here about where, where Jesus gets baptized. We'll talk about that next week, about where John is, why he's in that space, about who John is. And we're going to talk about all of that. Um, and John was not a Baptist. He was a baptizer. Uh, might be a better way to say it, uh, but, you know, whatever. And, and there's this guy and all this kind of stuff. But there's so much in this story. And so I would encourage you to kind of dig into it. But we're going to talk about a couple key parts of it this morning as we're continuing our series on Advent in days to come, which um, I think is a really, really cool uh, vibe that we're putting out here. And I think it's really good for us. Um, I remember going to California as a kid. Uh, I grew up going to California at least a couple weeks a year. My parents moved there right before I was born. Uh, and uh, I'm going to hold off on the joke that I always make there. Um, but I, I, I lived growing up going back there. I, I, I love going down to Corona Del Mar, T Street, uh, Salt Creek. I loved going to these places and, 
the long walks down, basketball courts in the grass, and uh, Dana Point and all the stuff. I love climbing the tree that was out in front of my grandfather's yard. I, I, I loved it all. I thought it was absolutely amazing. I still do. I still love going. I don't care that it's cold water. I'd rather that than a bath on the East Coast. And so um, I, I, I absolutely love it. And I'm right now, I'm actually, Meredith and I are talking a lot about how can we get our boys back out there because we haven't gotten to do that. The whole family migrated to Texas, and I lost that, like, easy connection to always go to California. When I became a dad, uh, I had Kaysen, I think he was two or three years old, uh, so Grayson wasn't around yet. And uh, we decided to go to California. I was preaching at a church there, and we were staying in a part of uh, California called, or L.A. called NoHo, North Hollywood. And so we were staying there because there was an apartment right across from the church that they were allowing us to use, so we did that. But for me, if I'm going to California, I'm going to the beach. To me, it doesn't make any sense to go to California if you're not going to the beach. It's also like, why do you live there and not go there? Because you're paying for it, whether you like it or not. You might as well go ride the attraction. And so I remember, uh, I remember getting there, and we, we loaded up. We did all our stuff, and I said, babe, all right, so tomorrow we'll load up, we'll get all our stuff, and we'll head to the beach. I'm not even going to talk about how my in-laws try to go to the beach. It's terrible. It takes 14 hours to prep for it. You just go with a towel and a boogie board and a swimsuit. That is all you need at the beach. I don't know what else you could possibly need. Now, California, they got like little spots where you can go grab a bite right on the water, so that, maybe that makes it easier. But what else you need? You don't need anything. And so we, would, uh, we loaded up. We're 10 miles away. No big deal. No big deal. Jumped in the car, hit the Google Maps, and uh, 10 miles away, all good. Hour and 15-minute drive. I said, babe, I don't remember this. I don't remember the hour and 15-minute drive. This is not what I grew up doing. I was, you know, it was close to the one we, we were, we, we would, I realize this now, um, but we were much closer when I grew up going to the beach with my parents. And I didn't care how long it took to drive. I was in the back. I wasn't driving. Right? I was having a good old time. And I remember we did it. We went, hour and 15. And we had a two-year-old boy who made it on the beach for like an hour. And then we drove back another hour. And then guess what? We did it again the next day. Because I'm there, I'm going to the beach. I'm, that's what I'm there for. I am not there for the smog and the pollution. That's not why I'm in California or why I'm in L.A. I'm there to go to the beach. And I enjoyed it while we were there, but it wasn't everything I thought it was going to be. I had, <laughs> this thing had just not been what I expected. I expected to get in the car, drive 10 minutes, be on the beach for an hour, hour and a half, couple hours with a two-year-old, and then come back, and it was all good. And I know Meredith and I really did it with joy and thanksgiving the whole time. We never raised our voice or got mad at one another or flipped anyone off. It was using the HOV lane that wasn't supposed to. But I realized that I didn't know uh, what I was getting into. And what I had experienced as a, as a young kid um, was different when I was dad. And I was the one navigating and driving. And, and sometimes L.A. and big cities and just life in general, the traps of modernity, tend to do that to us. The dreams we had as kids all of a sudden uh, become a little broken or difficult as we grow older. As we get older, we start to realize they cost us something. We start to realize they, they don't always just show up at your doorstep nightly, nicely wrapped and ready to go. That sometimes you got to grit your teeth and keep 
going, that sometimes people uh, don't always do it the way you thought they were going to do it, that things don't always work out the way you thought they were going to, and the traffic just makes the trip longer than you expected. One writer talking about L.A., and uh, man, this is brutal, says this, and I'm going to read the whole thing. The smell hits you as soon as you step out of the air-conditioned airport. You feel the residue, the fallout of broken dreams hitting your palate. The charred remains of incarcerated, incinerated hopes mixed with the omnipresent smog and invade every pore of your being. The shuttle bus takes you for your, to your hotel over miles and miles of pulverized aspirations paved over by concrete highways. From the bus window, you can see the Hollywood Boulevard where gold stars are set into asphalt, merging imperceptibility with the promenade of dead dreams where the stars are wrought of dirty and soggy cardboard and are stuck onto the pavement with scotch tape or wads of old gum. Each cardboard star marks the exact spot where a particular dream breathed its last. L.A., a dream slaughterhouse masquerading diabolically as a dream factory. You guys are such Texans laughing as though that doesn't happen here. This is what sin does, though, isn't it? Sin's a dream factory. Oh, it's got all the things. If you just do this and you do that and you do that, and I don't care what you grow up thinking sin was, but if you just get caught up in all the stuff that somehow, someway at the end of this is going to be everything you ever imagined, all the stuff you ever wanted, and it ends up somehow, someway, always incinerating the things you thought were good. Sometimes this is what it feels like, right? This is what, not just cities, and I know I'm harping on L.A. I'm sure I could find more about all kinds of cities. But we, we, we get into the, the, the hustle and the bustle, especially even of a season like this where everything is going. We went to Hobby Lobby yesterday on a Saturday. That was stupid. We did not exercise Holy Spirit discernment. It was terrible. We didn't even buy half the things we meant, went to buy. We came out of there going, that was not worth the trip. But so many things we step into, so many things that we walk into that aren't what we necessarily expected them to be. And yet we keep returning. There's a book called The Empire of Illusion. It's not a Christian book at all. Talking about all the different things that we think are all good and everything's great. And, and the reality is that behind the scenes it is churning people in and out all day, every day. James K. A. Smith talks about the modern building of our uh, malls the way they were built to look like chapels so that when you walked in, you looked up and not out so that you didn't notice the 18-wheelers driving everything in, all the exchanges that were being made and that you could just get happiness if you made a particular exchange at a particular register for your own good. Whether in ancient times or today, cities fuel and shape human imagination of how the world is ordered, what humans can create, and who is destined to rule. 80% of people all around the world live in urban centers and contexts. Now, here's the thing. Same dude who just wrote, Boris Glickman, who just wrote that intense exposition on L.A. also writes this. But the mountains are mute witnesses to the tribulations and sufferings down below are always there, solid and eternal. Their paradoxical presence contrasting sharply with the ethereal and evanescent dreams floating around in the valley. The mountains say nothing, expressing themselves through that most ancient, most articulate, most authentic, and most profound language of all, absolute silence. 
There is something that transpires when you finally get yourself out of the, the busyness and the rhythms and the, and the ways uh, that this empire works. And yeah, I know that word gets thrown around a lot. And I'm not just talking about city uh, centers and urban centers. I'm simply talking about the fact that when you drove to church today, you drove by everything we made. You drove by building after building, sign after sign, billboard after billboard, and you got caught up in what was already there, that, what, what, what you've built. We went recently, my wife and our boys, uh, my parents just finished building uh, a cabin to rent out, an Airbnb-type vibe in Broken Bow. So if you need a spot, please let us know. I know they would love to book it out. It's been a journey. Um, but we went out. We snuck up there before they were starting to rent it out. So we spent one night just the, the day before Thanksgiving, and, uh, and we went out in the back, and we did the whole thing, s'mores, fire, the whole nine yards. It was a blast. We had a great time. And, uh, but at one point, as we were doing the s'mores and, and burning marshmallows, it was just an amazing thing. And uh, as, as we did this, I built a pretty good fire, too. I was kind of proud of myself. And um, we looked up. We looked up above the trees, and even though there was a few lights, all of a sudden what was in the sky was shining brighter than I had remembered. So we, so we didn't put out the fire. We turned off all the lights in the house, ran out the front of the house and, and on the gravel driveway and looked up above the trees and just hung out for a minute. I wanted my kids to think it was amazing, and they did for like 12 seconds. But I did not let them go back inside. Because for us, we have to remember that it's only when we get away from the things that keep us going on the... Uh, on the, the mouse wheel of life, that we begin to realize the place we're in is more special than we ever remembered. Because the reality is, is those stars were shining the whole time. It's not as though when I go to bed at night, those when I flip the switch on my house and my bedroom, that the lights here in Fort Worth and the, the stars in Fort Worth don't shine. It's not as though they aren't there. It, it is simply covered up by all the artificial light that we create. In an article called, Where Have the Stars Gone?, the writer says, of course they're still there, but we can't see them because of light pollution. That's an actual thing. The excessive and misdirected anthropogenic and artificial light that has invaded our night skies. Oh, I want you, I, yes, I'm trying to draw your attention to something that is more than just a physical reality. We can't see the stars that are shining in the sky because of the excessive and misdirected anthropogenic and artificial light that has invaded our night sky. The misdirected and excessive light that we have created, that's what those two words mean, that we have engineered, are invading the sky, and we are not able to see all the wonder that's before us. It's actually amazing how quickly we will forget those things. We'll get out in the country, get out in the mountains, get out by the ocean, and we will see all the magnitude of God's good creation, and then we will come home and we will forget them. And it is not because we're trying to forget them, as though we are trying to wipe them from our memories. It is simply because we get caught up in the everyday. We get caught up in all that we are meant to do, and we forget the very thing that caused us to stop in our tracks and look up. On the way here, some of you saw, some of you didn't. There was a wall cloud that just stretched for miles Every, every turn I came around, it was still there. The sun was up, and it looked like a wave cresting. It looked like a wave that was breaking, and you were standing behind it and just sitting in the awe and wonder of it. And nobody, 
while we were driving. I know I got one person that's out. We, one person took a picture. I also took a picture while driving. And I understand that it was probably good that nobody else was looking. But I was blown away by We were just all these people just driving on the paved roads that we've created without recognition of the things that have been here long before we were ever here. Now, I wonder how many of us could answer the same question of what's been misdirected. What, what has been excessive in our lives that has actually caused us to miss Jesus, especially in a season like Christmas? Especially in a season where even before Thanksgiving, you were getting told what you should buy, when you should buy it, how you should buy it. You're getting text messages on what you want for Christmas and wearing yourself out with 17 different to-do lists of the people you are going to buy something for and the people you're still considering. And in our activity and in the substitutes, we've lost the wonder of who Jesus is. And this, this is where... Matthew 3 shows up. This is where a dude wearing, uh, well, not the fashion of the day, eating locust, shows up in the story. This is where someone stands out River Jordan, out in the Judean wilderness, and begins to cry out to people to come and repent, to leave what they are used to. William Barclay says, the emergence of John was like the sudden sounding of the voice of God. At this time, the Jews were sadly conscious that the voice of the prophets had spoken no more. They said that for 400 years there had been no prophet. Throughout long centuries, the voice of prophecy had been silent. As they put it themselves, there was no voice, nor any that answered. But in John, the prophetic voice spoke again. All of a sudden in John, after a few hundred years, all of a sudden the prophet of God had shown up again and was beginning to speak the kingdom of God again. And for so long, they had held on to something that had been said and were waiting for the thing that would be said. And there was this wrestling in their hearts, as you guys know. You guys know this place. You know this moment. Maybe not for 400 years, but you know in your own life, those seasons, those times where there has been no voice that is spoken and no voice that is answered. And all of a sudden, John shows up wearing the worst of the worst, identifying with the worst of the worst, eating the worst of the worst, at a river that the Pharisees would say is too dirty to be baptized in. And he is calling people unto repentance. In the desert. Now I wanted to show you a picture of the wilderness. And of course it doesn't all look like this. But I just wanted to show you this because I wanted you to get this in your mind. That in the Judean wilderness, this, it's, it's not all easy terrain. And of course this is not necessarily where he would have been baptizing people. But when you went out into the desert, in fact you can book tours now where you can go out into the wilderness because of the, the pristine nature of it. Because of how beautiful it is at night and because of the different things you can explore. But this is where you would have found John the Baptist. In the desert, in the Judean wilderness, you would have found him in a place where no one else would go. But you have to remember for the Israelites, this is the place they had wandered. It, the, for the Israelites, this is the place that they had gone and travailed, the places they had gone and failed. This is the places also, though, where God showed up in the most powerful of ways. This is the place where God spoke on top of the mountain. This is the place where God led them with pillars of fire. This is the place where God had spoken and provided in manna. This is the place where even in their failures, God remained faithful and brought them into places of promise. The desert was not just a place for many of us, when we hear it, it's not a place we like book vacations, but this is a place for the Israelites when they were beckoned back to it, were also being beckoned back to the place where God had spoken the loudest. As one writer of a tour guide in Israel says this, setting out after dark coaxes us out of our comfort zone, forces us 
to hone our instincts. Nothing connects you to the wonders of this universe quite like that howling wolf or the ancient landscape under the vast night sky. It is kind of a nature therapy. And like the silent mountains of L.A., the wilderness beckons to all of us to say, we have been here longer than you think, and if you would come back to these places, there would be something spoken to your life. Because here's what's really wild. The root word for desert is the same root word for the word speak. For, for many of these men and women who were coming out to this man eating locusts and sitting out in the desert, this, this was not foreign to them. Then when they saw someone standing out in the desert speaking and, and shouting and telling them to repent, they were not going, what is this crazy person? They were being reminded of the prophets who had spent all their time outside the city limits so that they could only and ever be captivated by God and not the trappings of life. So when John is calling them out, he's calling them to a place they would have been familiar with. He's calling them to a place where they had heard the voice of God before. He's calling them into a place to remind them of who they are. And he was saying this word that we love in the church. Maybe we don't love it anymore. Maybe it's a word we've gotten too rid of. Maybe because we abused it and didn't use it in the most correct ways. This word repent. Repent. So he's calling them out of the city. He's calling them out of the places that they had settled in, the places they had gotten comfortable in, and was trying to bring them into a place where they could be reminded of who they are, and that gives you an incredible hint at what the word repent really means. Repent, because the kingdom is here. Repent, for the kingdom is near. Chelsea Harmon writes this, John the Baptist knows the crux of the issue. We are not people who have arrived. We are people who are preparing for someone else to arrive. If you want to think about the greatest picture of what the word repentance means, think about the one that gets the most traction. It's the prodigal son. The prodigal son is the greatest picture of what repentance means in the Bible. And the greatest way God responds to it. What is the prodigal son doing in this moment? Of course he's apologizing. He feels bad about what he'd done with his inheritance. But he's also coming back where? Home. One of the great ways they would have understood repentance in the early church would have to understand it as a place of coming back home. Coming back to who you are. See, when we call you to repentance, when John the Baptist is calling these people to repentance and doing it in the desert, he's saying, come back to who you are because the kingdom you've been waiting for is near and now, and we need to prepare for its arrival. That's what Advent is. Advent is an opportunity for us to prepare the way for the soon coming king. Stanley Saunders writes this, repentance is harder for those of us more deeply invested or comfortable with the current order of things. Repentance is a perpetual state of readiness to challenge our commonplaces, the myths we live by, which produce not the fruit of repentance, but the practice of alienation and violence we too easily take for granted. Repentance is a perpetual state of readiness to challenge our commonplaces and the myths that we live by. So here's John the Baptist. Oh, there's so much more in this story. We're not going to cover it all. John the Baptist calling a people out of the cities that they had built, out of the places that they had even gotten comfortable 
Remember there's a scripture in Hebrews 12 that says, cast off every weight and every sin. For some of us, we're not wrestling with some major sin in our life. We're wrestling with the things we have grown comfortable with. We're wrestling with the things we have allowed to become commonplaces. We're wrestling with those myths that we've allowed to become truths. We are wrestling with those places in our life that have allowed us to grow comfortable in the mouse wheel. And we've not challenge those things so that we might prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in our life. To remember who you are. To remember who you are created to be. And he's calling these people into a place like the mountains of L.A. where they can hear and see and be spoken to in a way that they hadn't. To receive the kingdom, we must receive her king. We must turn, release, return to the wilderness so that we can prepare the way for the way. That's the heartbeat of Advent. That's the whole purpose of this season. Some of you don't know what Advent is, and that's okay. Advent is the season on the church calendar of of both celebration that Jesus has come, but also preparation for his return. Chelsea Harmon also goes on to write this about repentance. We have nothing to fear from admitting what is not right and asking for help to make it more in alignment with how it's supposed to be. See, the prodigal son returned to his father thinking that he was going to be shunned, that he was going to be made a servant. He he went back actually thinking, I'm not good enough anymore. I must now be a servant because I've ruined everything. And what does the father do? The father looks at his son and says, stand up, put on the coat, and come into the house because we're throwing a party for you. See, the idea of repentance is not one where we would, would feel bad all the time. It's one where we would recognize that this is not who we are. This is not who we are shaped for. This is not what we're called to. This is not the person God created. I want to get back there. I want to be reminded of who God has created me to be. And for some of us, what that means over the next few days, the next couple weeks, is for many of us to go back to the desert. To go back to before the cities were built. Go back to before the things of modernity and the trappings of everyday life have crowded out because of artificial, excessive light, the light of Christ. To go back to a place where silence is okay. To go back to a place where you can take inventory of your life and you can say with unashamedness, not with guilt or condemnation, but God, this is not who you've made me. Make me again. To prepare the way for the way. To leave the smog, to go to the desert, to hear God, to repent, because the kingdom is near. So where have our paths bent crooked? Where have our spiritual journeys turned resting points into end points? that make us feel comfortable and free from responsibility? What are we not dealing with that needs to be named, challenged, nurtured, and admitted to? Once again, I say, Merry Christmas. But again, if we understand that to be called to repentance is to be called back to who we are called to be, then there's no fear there. To be called back to the person he created you to be, oh, there's no fear there. Oh, there might be some men and women around the world who might condemn you for something. And, well, they've just, they've just missed it. Have grace on them. You're not meant to come to the cross 
feeling shame. You're meant to come to the cross and laying shame down. You're not meant to come to the cross and feel guilt. You're meant to come to the cross and lay guilt down. You're not meant to come to the cross and list off all your sins. You are meant to come to the cross and lay your sin down because he has done what no one else could do. He is a king who rules justly. That's why the earth will rejoice because he has made right what we only make wrong. That is the king we're waiting for. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. And no, I don't mean that you need to find the closest desert. What I will encourage you to do is go find the places where you can return to who you were called to be. Get out of the trappings of your everyday life and allow the Lord to speak. It might mean you wake up early, sit in that chair that you really like, you just never sit in. It might mean that you need to take a few hours on a Friday. It might mean that you need to get back into a a practice and a pattern of Sabbath. It might mean that you need to make sure there is space and place for Jesus to rule and reign in your life, for you to lay down the things that have held on to you and to allow him to speak into your life in a way that you know what you haven't seen in a minute, that you remember what you want to experience again. What if that's what Christmas was? What if that's what Advent was? So that when Christmas shows up, you don't just know a baby in a manger, you know a Savior who speaks. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for who you are. I thank you who you've made us to be. And God, I pray that we would come back. God, that we would come back. That we would return. That we would, we would go to the desert places. We would not allow the desert to be a place that we dread, but it would be a place where you speak. <clears throat> that we would escape the smog. And we would look again the stars and that we would realize that all around us is wonder and awe that all around us is an opportunity to see and hear you does the Holy Spirit come does the Holy Spirit come for some of you today that word repent a heavy word for some I want to encourage you let it be a light one not because it doesn't carry weight but because it should let you be light again. Some of you, you make a decision today to follow Jesus in a way you haven't been. To come to Jesus in a way you haven't in a long time. Maybe to, to come back to who you're called to be, who you're made to be, who you're shaped to be. In light of who Christ is. I thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done for what you're doing, for what you want to do. God, I pray that you would call your children, your sons, and your daughters back to you, that they might walk out of this place, not demanding that they be a servant, but realizing they're a child of God, that they would come back to who they've been called to be in light of Christ Jesus. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.